only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes and Hughes source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step in on Stalock. Barkov shoots and scores! Here's your hosts, Jesse Severe and Victor Nuno. Fantasy hockey life. That's right. The season approaches. And with it, Jesse Severe here from Fantrax is getting ready. And so also is my man from the Hockey Writers. It's Victor Nuno. Victor, how you feeling this morning? I'm doing great, Jesse. It's been really fun to watch some preseason games and and you know overreact to uh, all the line combinations and all the fun, exciting news that's coming out of there. So, uh, James Neal on a torrid pace of three goals a game. I'm sure that will sustain. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, this is really, in some ways, this is the most exciting moment of the fantasy hockey player's season. Uh, right when we're getting into draft season, you know, it's, it's, it's depressing, like that, that somehow this sometimes meals feels more exciting than the actual games when they get started. But this is the one time of the year when you have the most influence over which players you're going to be watching all year. So people are stoked as you listen to this, it's going to be two weeks and change probably before the NHL season begins uh yeah and victor you and i we are uh drafting a certain uh special couple of leagues right now too yeah we got our redraft listener league going you and i are each in in one of them and uh, it's been really fun we're we're in the middle of the fourth over in the one that i'm in and it's been uh it's been it's been pretty pretty interesting obviously a bunch of smart people and so not really expecting to get a whole lot of great players but yeah it's definitely fun how's yours been going it's we're just into the fifth. And uh, I will say that so on fan tracks, if, if you haven't used it before, and I, I'm finding out from these listener leagues that not everybody has, you can do something called a slow draft, where rather than, you know, you there's no way in this day and age, folks, no way in this virtual day and age that you are going to get uh, 12 extremely or 14 extremely knowledgeable fantasy hockey players in one room at one time. Uh, you know, at one hour of the day, we know that we're spread out all over the continent of North America. And frankly, a lot of the best players are also in Europe, just like a lot of the best hockey players are from Europe. And so it's very difficult to do. But with the slow draft, what you do is you can set it and you can set as many hours as you want uh, for a timer on picks. And you can even set it where like, okay, uh, we're not going to set a certain number of hours on picks and then we all go to bed and then all of us are paranoid that we're going to have to pick in the middle of the night. So you can set like an overnight pause for the thing. But Victor, uh, you and I know this uh, brings out the absolute worst side of me. I I think that's safe to say. The slow draft brings out brings out the impatient animal in me. And I and I'm ashamed of myself. And I'm here to admit that today. Well, I've never heard you be impatient about me taking <laughs> just a little bit longer than you would like. 
Victor, no, uh, full transparency, Victor of the two of us is the one who is usually prepared way in advance for things. So, so it really isn't, uh, I don't know, that's a constant bugaboo, but, but okay. So you can set these timers and then there's this, there's this tension that goes on throughout of, okay, so we can set these timers, but it's a, it's a watch pot waiting to boil all day long of like, okay, if we set it for four hours, six hours, eight hours, you see people and you can see the little green dot when they come in the room and then it goes away. And then you're sitting there for like five hours. You're like, what the heck? How you need to ignore your family. You need to ignore your job, possibly get fired if that's what it takes so that you can make a pick and make it just a little bit quicker for me to make my next pick in this draft. And uh, I know that makes me a horrible person, but, but that's, that's the tension. So people get equally mad at those people in slow drafts who take all the time every time and just sit there and mull it over while other people are patiently waiting. And others uh, reasonably, rationally think that's why we have a slow draft, dude, because we can't all rush and get this done every second. Some of us are in bed at the time you're trying to pick some, some in Norway when it's five o'clock at night for me or three o'clock in the afternoon for Victor are already in bed because it's 11 o'clock at night. And it's not reasonable to think that they're going to pick at that hour. But um, I don't know, Victor, it, it just, it, it brings out so many emotions. I'm going to end up being possibly in, in seven slow drafts over the course of like a month here. Uh, and it's uh, it's a frantic 24 hour a day thing. That's on the back of my mind. These things always make me laugh because I, I also like people to pick quickly. Sure. I like being able to have my turn when it's convenient for me, but also I've been in so many leagues and I've used fan tracks forever and people always get in such a huff. And then it's like, and then we finish weeks before the first game. And it's like, <laughs> why were you in such a rush? You know, we, I just had this in one of my leagues and everybody was so like, Oh, we got to do the rookie draft. Like, like, you know, and the two hour timer and it was like all this whole big thing. And then we finished in like a day and a half. And it, this was like in August. And like, come on, guys, like, seriously, what's the big deal? You give it a, a six, eight hour timer. Like, I guess some people hate when it when it drags on. But it's like for some of us, like if you're you know really tied up during the day, you're not trying to. I don't think anyone really tries, Jesse, to upset you and drag things on kind of long. Um, maybe maybe there's people out there, but I think it's more likely they they're, you know, tied up and busy with things and they, they want to just have a moment. I know I like having a moment to just sit down when the kids are not screaming and nobody wants anything from me um, from one of my many jobs. And I can just think for a second about what I want to do because otherwise I'm so distracted and there's people pulling me in 10 different directions and kids screaming and I just can't focus. So I just need a little bit of focus time and then I'll do it. Then I'll make my sure. Well, the, the other element of it though is so you can set a, a draft queue on there. You can, you can put guys in the bottom corner and what you can do is you can look and say, okay, I'm four picks away. These are the top four guys in order. Like this is the guy I want. If he's gone, that's the guy I want. I can think of all that in the morning before I'm going to be busy. And then I can set it so that when my turn comes up, it instantly takes the top guy from my queue. You have to make sure you got it set right or something could go wrong for you, but it's never steered me wrong. And so the majority of the time, even if like somebody else is, you know, even if I'm kind of around, I'll just set that because I know I'm going to do, but I think there are two different approaches. Some people are still, you know, even if they're three picks away, 
are looking at it and saying, well, you know, I might still want to react to a position run or something between now and then. I'm always like, dude, I'm four picks away. I know who, I know exactly the sequence of guys that I would prefer at this point. But others, I think there's a satisfaction or an enjoyment, a savoring of being on the clock and researching different guys and debating it that some people enjoy that that just goes past me. It's like the way that I eat every meal in like five minutes. And my wife says, slow down and savor your food. It's the same instinct, Victor. Yeah, well, and and I think she knows what she's talking about. I think there is a little <laughs> bit, there is a little bit of that. And I know, I know for me, I'm definitely that person that I wanna, I wanna react to what's happening in the whole draft. I like to step back and see, like, okay, how many, how many right wings have been taken, how many goalies, how many defensemen. So if for, for some reason, the three picks before me go D D D that might change slightly my preference of who I want, or if like three right wings happen to go in a row and I thought that I could wait another round or something for that. So there definitely is a little bit of that. I think for me, it's early on. It's once I have one of each position, I'm far less worried about setting an auto, but it, initially I want to make sure that I get, you know, the, the highest value over replacement for each of those positions that I can. And so I'm really kind of looking at which, how many of each one have gone because I might decide to go, you know, left wing or center. Uh, and that can change that can shift in a few picks depending on the flavor of, of what's happening. So that, that it definitely is. The, so I like to wait until the last minute and then I'll, and then if, if luckily the one before me, or it gets really close, then I'm happy to set a queue. But usually I like to see how the draft is going right at that moment. So I can, so I can adequately prepare because if it's four or five away, I still feel like it could shift enough for me to not want to do that. Yeah. It's uh and I'm, I'm usually more focused on my team than a run that might happen around me, especially since usually the picks that, well, anyway, uh, if you're not doing a slow draft, all I'm saying is you're missing out because what, you know, it's all about how you like your endorphins delivered. Do you like them delivered in a concentrated package in one hour uh, on two nights of the year, or would you rather spread it out across three weeks of alternative uh, impatience, frustration, joy, uh, ecstatic release, and ultimately 12-step programs. And I prefer the latter, Victor Nuno. That is that is the way that I live for the month of September and October. That's what makes it fantasy hockey life instead of uh, fantasy hockey hour. Amen. <laughs> All right. That's enough. Uh, that's enough banter, but it's, it's hockey focused. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Remember a couple weeks ago when I tried to convince Victor Nuno that it wasn't good enough for us to go through all 32 NHL clubs once, but I wanted to start all over again and talk about all 32 clubs one more time. Well, guess what, folks? I talked him into it, even though uh, he uh, pretty much said that he would gnash his teeth and I would never see him again if if I tried to do that uh, before the season, because we're doing it a different way. We're going to go through all 32 clubs, but Here's the problem with starting your draft previews before the NHL regular season even ended last year so that we get them all in. There is player movement, and some of the teams that we previewed had not yet settled on finer rosters at the time we did. So we're going to talk about all 32 clubs in this episode and next episode, one by one, and talk about 
some of the players who came in who were not previewed on the episode particularly and, and break some of those down. And then, and then just for your enjoyment and eventual roasting of us, we're going to provide some hot takes. So today, Victor, we are going to go best coast, west coast, and start out at your end of the country to talk about the Pacific and the central divisions. Are, are, are you all excited to talk a little bit of uh, 32 team previews once again? Yeah, this is going to be good. And and some teams are going to have, we're going to have a fair amount to say, and some teams that we just did or didn't make a whole lot of changes, there aren't going to be a whole lot of takes. So we're not going to rehash everything. Uh, if there's something new or an updated, we'll, we'll kind of work through that. But if it's pretty much a uh, standard as, as was before, then we'll, we'll kind of just go with that. All right. Well, why don't you fire us off with the first team of the Pacific division? All righty. We're going to start with the Anaheim ducks and the Anaheim ducks are in, I think they have tank mode engaged, Jesse. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> they got the pain for Shane hashtag going. Uh, they didn't really bring anybody in uh, of note. Uh, and and part of it, I think, is they want their young guys to get a little bit of opportunity. And, and that's cool. We often don't see that. And so it's nice to be able to, to see that. Um, I guess, you know, Anthony Stolars might have some value because we thought maybe they'd bring someone else in. Ryan Miller retired. Um, I don't know that Dostal is is quite ready. Maybe he competes for a spot, but um, Stolars not not a not a great goalie on a, on what should be a bad team. So unless you're in one of those leagues that we're in one together, Jesse, where a goalie who plays even 30 percent of the time has some value. And that, if that's the case, then Stolars maybe has some, but but probably not. I was trying to think of somebody who would potentially be interesting here and it's going to be tough. I don't know. Maybe Sonny Milano is a guy that, that gets a little bit more of a look. Um, I don't really think that's going to happen. I, I don't think there are a whole lot of guys on this team that are going to be fantasy relevant. Frankly, of course we have, we can talk about uh, um, one of the guys that I think will be good. And we're going to add a hot take to every team and the other guy can kind of react to it. And so my probably not so hot take, but I guess I'll just say it anyways, is that I, and I mentioned this on my Calder episode, Trevor Zegers wins the Calder. That's my hot take. Trevor Zegers is going to get all of the opportunity. He's going to be probably the top line center and play, you know, the most minutes of any forward I would imagine, I would hope. And that's going to allow him to have the most opportunity more than some of the other guys who may be as talented or more talented. Uh, I think just the time on ice, I don't know that he gets enough points. That's the only thing, but you know, if Anaheim does anything, you know, close to competing for a playoff spot or somehow sneaks in, then that would obviously help his, his resume, which I don't see that happening unless, you know, Gibson plays out of his mind and a bunch of these other young guys just play well above their heads. But, uh, I guess a slightly more hot take is that um, Zegers leads the team in points um, and in goals. So that's that's where I'll put my put my foot down. 30 goals for Trevor Zegers. Jesse, is that hot enough? Boom. Well, I'm totally with you on Zegers Calder. Uh, Calder Zegers. I've been uh, huge on Zegers. And I, I think the moment that I absolutely turned was when Eddie Jones came on our show a couple of years ago and was just lighting it up about Trevor Zegers. 30 points. It's uh, it's a little spicy, but that's what it takes to make it a hot take, Victor. I like it. 
Let's move on to talk about the Calgary Flames. There are a couple of interesting additions on this team. Blake Coleman being the greatest of these. Uh, Most fantasy relevant addition to the Calgary Flames this year. He's going to turn 30. And I think we can probably expect to see a improvement of his time on ice from his Tampa days, where he was certainly on a loaded depth chart in the forward area into uh, into maybe a little bit of more of a friendly situation in Calgary. He only played 15, 28 average time on ice there. He had two hits per game last year. And in the old days, it used to be three hits per game. Uh, loved that back in the New Jersey days for Coleman. Just over two shots per game. Daily Faceoff is telling us he's going to play second line with Backland and Mangiapani, uh, Victor's uh, uh, Victor's uh, boy, Mangiapani. So I like Blake Coleman coming into the situation, get some power play time maybe, and uh, get those peripheral stats that we all love and maybe take a little bit of a bounce to in points. And next, we got Dan Vladar. Uh, didn't cover himself in glory leaving Boston last year. I think he kind of came into the year thought of as the big prospect goalie for that team. At least that's the way I thought of him. And on a team with three 905 save percentage or better guys in uh, Halak, Rask, and Jeremy Swayman, uh, Vladar started five games with an 886 save percentage. And yeah, there are more advanced stats, but I think 886 probably tells the story you need to hear. The Flames valued the 24-year-old highly enough to send a third-rounder back to Boston to snag him for their depth chart. Dustin Wolf and Tyler Parsons are still lingering down there in the minors, but Vladar seems like he'll be the pro backup to Jacob Markstrom, uh, who will be at the ready. And Markstrom, of course, a little bit controversial if you hear the projections on him, including my own. They come near the top because he is a guy who we really don't project to lose playing time, but we're also a guy who uh, there's a little bit of shaky performance there. So who knows? Maybe Vladar will, will get some time this year in net and he'll be replacing big save Dave Rich, who will be covered later in the episode. And then next Nikita Zadorov, I mentioned it briefly on the Chicago episode, but he's not particularly fantasy relevant. He's a, you know, he's a peripherals type guy, a middle pair defenseman, no scoring and pretty much a hit streamer guy. You're going to pick up for a Saturday, Sunday double header. If Calgary has one and you happen to be trying to compete in hits this week, don't get too excited, even in a lukewarm Calgary uh, defensive core. And uh, well, Victor, I guess I'll ask you first, any reactions to any of these previews of the players that you're interested in? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on Zadorov. He's he's just a hits machine. I don't I don't really think there's much else there. Um, Vladar, we actually we talked a lot about Vladar back in the day, and and I think correctly projected that Swayman was the one that everybody wanted. Uh, this was like a year plus ago, and that turned out to be pretty accurate. He's Vladar is showing himself to not be that great, and so maybe he can resurrect here. Uh, I think it's, as a lot of people have pointed out, it's just more of the reason why Markstrom's going to get a ton of starts. I don't have, I don't think people have a lot of faith in Vladar and he's probably just a placeholder for Wolf when he is ready and he's not quite ready yet. So I definitely like that read. And yeah, I think Coleman is a sneaky, sneaky position to not quite be what he was in New Jersey when he kind of broke out just before he got traded to Tampa and lost a lot of the time on ice. So I think that his time on ice will go up. He is absolutely a Daryl Sutter kind of player. And I think that Sutter is just going to lean on him and he's going to get more ice, rack up more peripherals. I just don't know that all the the scoring is going to be there because I don't think that Calgary is going to do that a whole lot. But 
um, the counting stats, the counting stats should be pretty decent for Blake Coleman. Speaking of the counting stats and the numbers that I think are going to be there, even under Sutter, and I think we, I think I know where you're going to react to my hot take, Victor, because we discussed this player on our, on our, uh, on our forward takes episode, and that is Maddie Kachuk. I am saying this year he's going to go for 85 points, 260 shots, 260 hits this year. He's going to be uh, yet another Kachuk. And if you actually look at his projected stats or or the paces he has been on in the past, believe it or not, this doesn't look that hot. He was uh, he's been close to a point per game guy uh, before, and his shots and hits have been at incredible rates. It it wouldn't surprise me enormously uh, to see him get over three for each per game. And maybe he will stop being the Kachuk brother in the shadows. Victor, tell me you're with me on my hot Matt Kachuk take. Well, I don't think I can get all the way with you. I don't think he'll, he'll be the more exciting. I don't think he'll ever surpass your love for Brady. First of all. Oh no. Oh no. Not going to happen. Um, but I, I think that if anyone uh, is going to, is I, I do think that Matt Kachuk probably has, the most points, or at least he's right there. I think Lindholm is there. I think Kachuk is there, but I, I think that Kachuk probably for a peripherals league has the most value of any, of any flame. Maybe that's not the hottest take. I just don't know that the points are going to be there, but he, I also think that he's one of those guys that Sutter is going to lean on guys that I think that Sutter is probably not going to like as much like Monahan and Goudreau. Uh, he's kind of shown that already too. So I, I would be worried about those guys that that are kind of more unidimensional, right? Kachuk is, is a guy that he, I'm sure he feels he can throw out in any situation and that's going to help him get a little bit more points, but 85 points. I actually wanted to go back and look at this, but I didn't have time. I don't know that any Daryl Sutter team has ever had someone who scored that much, right? So that would be, that would be kind of a unicorn season for, for Matty Kachuk. But if anyone's going to do it, it, it it's going to be him. He has got a horn growing straight out of the middle of his head. Victor. Don't you worry about it. I don't doubt that. That's awesome. All right. So that's Calgary. Let's move on to Edmonton. Edmonton did a lot of things. Uh, I don't know that they were all great, but they did a lot of things. And so first we have to talk about, of course, Zach Hyman. Hyman, you know, has been really, you know, a guy that we thought of as for, I thought of at least for a while, I'll just put myself in this category as, as pretty much a passenger on a great line. And over the last couple of years, started to really realize that no, he he really does a lot of work. He's in his great retrievals. He's a is a great two way player, and certainly has some offense of of his own. And and fifty nine and sixty three point paces in the last couple of seasons. A lot of people thought, oh, you know, he's not going to get re signed. He's going to go somewhere. His value is going to tank. And in dynasty leagues, people were th- thinking about trading him about because you know he wasn't going to be as valuable next to Matthews and Marner. And he went to pretty much the only other situation where it could be possibly even better. And we had some discussion in our discord about some people worried that, that Hyman on the playing with McDavid and, and top power play was going to be a tie ratty situation and just be for the preseason. But, you know, I think this is one of those things we're playing in a cap league and understanding how that works is really important because to me, that's really not the same at all. You're not going to be paying a guy like Zach Hyman what you're paying him five and a half million. That's not the league minimum, you know, under a million that they were paying ratty. The situation dictates that he's going to get that opportunity. And maybe he doesn't play with McDavid. Maybe he plays with dry Oh, you know, not, not, a, not a big downgrade. I, I imagine he does get the power play though, because he 
plays that role of like net fronts or net front or and or puck retrievals. And that's something that you need on the power play, right? You need the guy that can go get the puck back to the point, back to McDavid. And he's really, really good at that. So I think Zach Hyman, yeah, I mean, he maybe is going a little high in some leagues. Um, People are projecting him to take huge jumps up to like point per game. I don't know that he gets there, but, you know, probably in that 70 range. uh, And, and, and he had only five power play points in Toronto. I imagine he could, you know, double, triple, even more than that. He could possibly get all the way up to, you know, 20, 15, 20, if he gets that role. So, yeah, I like that. I ranked him at 90th for my forwards, um, but that was more kind of betting on the floor. Uh, he has a lot of upside beyond that. And so I really like Zach Hyman. I think that he, you know, if, if so for some reason you're in a league where people aren't as pumped on him as I've seen some some leagues taking him, you know, pretty early, like in the 50s, 60s, um, then he could have good value a little bit later. I'm if I'm staring at, a, you know, the choice between him and like a, you know, Blake Wheeler or something like that, then I'm going with the veteran every day because, you know, he's done it multiple times. But um, depending on the situation, Hyman could be really good. Um, a couple of the other guys, Duncan Keith. Man, that's such a confusing move, um, and I really didn't like it. Uh, he's really slowed down. I mean, he's 38 years old, um, and he's really taken a few steps back, but he's still playing you know, decent minutes. I, he'll probably get to play a, a lower role on this team, and that'll probably be good for him, and he can probably still contribute, but I don't really think that he gets many points, at least primary points. Maybe, maybe he lucks into a few secondary points, as some people tend to do when they're out there with McDavid and dry saddle, but I don't really have a lot of faith in Duncan Keith providing much fantasy value. Um, Warren Fogle is a guy that I think will help the in real life team more than fantasy. Maybe he helps like a Mike Smith uh, continue to drink from the fountain of youth. I don't know. Um, he could be a decent stream. Cody CC is someone that I've never really liked um, he, in terms of like, I don't think he's a, a great player, but he's, he gets out there. He gets, he gets minutes and he gets peripherals. So he had, he did that in Pittsburgh. And I think he will continue to do that to some extent here in Edmonton. So CC is a guy who you can probably stream um, or, you know, certainly if there's an injury, you want to be kind of hot on that, on that um, adding, um, but most likely he's probably just going to play a decent number of minutes and rack up some peripherals. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's a, there's a huge, a lot of value there. So I think the biggest, the biggest, uh, you know, difference and the biggest take is, is Hyman, which we kind of knew, uh, which we kind of knew a little bit about when we were doing that episode, but it certainly has come into more clarity now. Jesse, what do you think of those guys? Well, the, the most relevant is Hyman. I think the hype on Hyman has gone way too far. Like you said, it it depends what league you're in, but I'm in a a fairly prominent league with a a lot of extremely sharp players and Hyman went 76th overall in the draft in the sixth round. And that to me is crazy sauce. Uh, You know, that's a, that's not 76 forward. That's including the D including the goalie 76th overall that that's way out for me. Hyman is a late a late uh, guy in the draft. Yes, he is fine. And he was a cult hero in Toronto, but I don't know. I, I don't think it ends that well. He, he's, he's a nice story, but not a prominent hockey player to me. And Duncan Keith, 
we uh, we <laughs> we tortured poor Sean Filippelli talking about his decline, and certainly Edmonton is going to play him, but I don't really see a whole lot of fantasy value that he he's actually got competitive D to take away whatever power play time he had left. So I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I think the Edmonton guys are going to be potentially a little bit overrated in your league. There's always a couple Edmonton fans that, that drive up that value too, or even people who just say, Oh, he's, you know, he's probably playing next to McDavid. So I'm going to take him, you know, third, fourth round. Um, so yeah, that's probably the case. That's why I, I like him as a, I like Hyman as a, as a later pick if he was there, but he's just not, he's not going to be there for the most part. Um, so my hot take for the Oilers, uh, it's hard, it's hard with this team, but, um, I do think they made some, some pretty decent, you know, upgrades up front. I think their middle, their middle six and their forward group is better. I think their D losing bear, um, bringing in CC, I think is worse. Uh, and I don't think they're in the toughest division, but, uh, I'm going to just make a bold prediction and say they missed the playoffs. I think that would be, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but it it would be kind of interesting. I think obviously Vegas is there. Uh, I think that LA is going to be much better. I think that Seattle, who knows, big wild card, Vancouver and San Jose, you know, could be there, Calgary. So those teams are going to be tougher to play against defensively. And I worry that if the offense gets a little stymied or frustrated, their defense isn't going to be able to keep the puck out. And I still, as much as he did it all last season, I still don't believe in Mike Smith. I know even Oiler fans feel that way and they were waiting for the house of cards to crumble and it just kind of didn't. Well, I mean, even in the playoffs, it didn't really crumble because it wasn't really his fault. But um, yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know that that can keep happening. Um, And yeah, we'll see. What do you think, Jesse? Wow, that is a spicy take in the Pacific to drop out of the playoffs. I love it, Victor. This, I personally, I think it would take an injury, but the Oilers have been fairly lucky, in my opinion, in terms of their injury at the higher levels. And, uh, you know, McDavid uh, missing extended time, uh, not not having extended time missed when he had that injury at the end of the season a couple of years ago. I think it would take an injury, but it would be a train wreck of a story if it were to happen. And Mike Smith, that's the other wild card. You're absolutely right. They would have to trade for a goalie. Mike Smith healed. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Kings. And they were one of the earlier teams we previewed. So, yes, there are some new additions on this team. Victor Arvidsson. Daily Faceoff says he's going to start out with Kopitar and Iafalo on line one. Of course, they kind of got they're they're kind of going to have an old line, and then they're going to have uh the young line of the upcoming guys. So Arvidsson's probably going to get paired with some of the more established Los Angeles Kings. After the scoring rates were in his 60s for three straight years in Nashville, the last two years have been more like half a point per game with fairly favorable deployment, although less ice time. Arbitson's always got some injury trouble, too, it seems like. He'll, he'll miss some games here and there. And, of course, Nashville has just been uh, just been lukewarm on offense with the, the, the line of uh, forwards that used to be, the Jofa line, used to be a fairly effective group of players but I expect last year's 6.6% shooting to bounce back a little closer to Arvid's 11.4 career rate. I think that will help bring up his points. Most years, including last year, he's good for three shots per game. If you're in a peripheral league, minimal hits and blocks, as you might expect from a first-line winger. You're not necessarily in the market for that. So scoring and shooting, it can happen. Three shots per game is real nice. But, uh, you know, I, I don't go crazy on Arvidsson, but he's a, he's a decent mid-round pick. Philip Deneau, 
Victor made some great points about the real-life impact uh, last week uh, when we are talking forwards. That likely will give him plenty of time on ice. And, of course, time on ice is the best way to accrue some value in fantasy. Uh, even as the young centers start to crowd the lineup, we talked about all these young centers coming up in L.A., and it sort of uh, boggled the mind when Deneau was added to Kopitar to fill this. But, uh, you know, this is something that could help the Kings improve as they Maybe they'll let some of those young centers go over and play on the wing for now as they continue to mature into the NHL. I don't know if Byfield will, but uh, how Anze Byfield to know works is not clear to me at this point. Byfield maybe will just have more uh, sheltered minutes as he just starts to get into his NHL career. The real-life stats are not going to follow for Deneau. It's not happened in the past. I don't see it happening as he moves from the Montreal Canadiens to the Los Angeles Kings. Last year, playing the largest uh, share of his five-on-five minutes with Tomas Tatar, who obviously is a future Hall of Famer, Tomas Tatar, uh, and Brendan Gallagher. Victor didn't even smile. Now he's smiling. I I can see him on video. Uh, We'll we'll never stop with the Tatar takes. Uh, He had yet another year, Dano did, of less than half a point per game with 1.5 shots, 1.5 hits, half a block. He was uh, 16th in faceoff wins, so that's a, a valuable thing. But Deneau is a better real-world player than he is a fantasy player. Do not stake heavy draft capital in Philip Deneau for your team. But good news for the Kings. Andreas Athanasiu, we could have talked about him in our Kings episode because it looked like he might come back. And we stand by the decision not to talk about Andreas Athanasiu. Uh, To full disclosure, some of the guys that we are talking about in this preview wouldn't have even made our team previews because we tended to talk about the more fantasy-relevant guys Alex Edler, well, at least Edler was healthier, at least the defenseman after all those years of being the sneaky Vancouver power play quarterback. Those years are now over. He's 35 years old and you've been getting two shots, two and a half blocks and two hits. That's very nice bash, but his points dropped to eight in 52 games. That's just a black hole for your points in fantasy leagues. And his average time on ice dropped to the lowest level since his rookie year of 2054 time on ice last year. Still a very, very respectable time on ice, but not what he is going to need to compile those peripheral stats that you're really looking for out of him. On the other hand, Mikey Anderson, who is, uh, you know, he's an up and comer, but he's not a world beater yet. He's the best other listed left D on this team. So who knows? Maybe Edler will fall into some more minutes as the steady veteran who can keep this team's defense afloat. That is the talk on some of these incoming players, Victor. Any uh, any talk about your namesake, Mr. Arvidsson, or any of these other guys? Yeah, I think Arvey bounces back a little bit. I think that uh, I remember hearing he had a little bit of a wrist issue, part of the reason why his shots dropped a little bit. Um, playing with Kopitar, there's no question in my mind that he, that's a better center than anyone he's ever played with. So I think that uh, that would that'll be good for the top line. I agree with you. Everything you say about Deneau. On the other hand, though, Deneau will probably help the goalies and the defense and the, and the whole team a lot more. And so I, that's one of the reasons I liked Peterson so much uh, and a little bit more than you did. So definitely agree with that. Not even going to mention AA because I agree with you. And um, yeah, Mikey Anderson is a guy who could steal some time on ice from from Edler. It seems like he's ready. He's kind of ready to make that step. So I, I wouldn't invest heavily in Edler, but I did have him on my on my rankings as someone who could, yeah, just maybe fill some peripherals, not really 
not really score a whole lot. So yeah, I'm pretty much with you all the way there. Um, yeah, I, I think I've mentioned it before. I think the Kings are going to be better than than everybody's expecting. So watch out. The, the rebuild is over. The guys like Dowdy and Kopitar are tired of losing. And I think Dowdy comes out really strong this season. I think that, you know, he was fed up. He was annoyed. He was bummed. And uh, this is a team that knows how, at least a few guys, they know how to win, right? They won, they won cups. They then, uh, and also remember that we're talking about, this is an Olympic year. Drew Dowdy was beastly in the last couple uh, Olympic goals that, that Canada won. And the last time the NHL players were there and he really wants to make the team. Uh, and um, there was a recent interview with him talking about that. So I think he's going to, he's going to come out and light, light the, light the league on fire the first uh, month or two and to really help his case. So yeah, we'll see if that happens, but yeah, Kings probably better than, than most people are giving him credit for. My hot take for uh, the Los Angeles Kings. I like to think of it as Nuno bait because you could not design in a lab, a more tempting hot take to suck Victor into. And that is Quentin Byfield ends the season on line one of the Los Angeles Kings and power play one. Victor, can I bring you to the dark side? Well, you know, I'm pretty ready to get on board anything that you say positively about Quentin Byfield. So I like it. Um, I, I am really torn because I think that that would be really fun having him play wing up there with Kopitar. I, I think it would be great. I think he would really enjoy playing with better players. But I really think that the Kings are trying to be smart about this and playing this, playing the long game, making sure he learns the center position and learns from Kopitar, learns from watching at that level. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen. I think I think he'll be out there on the power play at times, the top power play. But I think he stays center, which means I don't think he's passing Kopitar and Dano. So I'm 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 most of the way with you. And I love I love Byfield. I think he takes a step this year. I don't know that it's a huge step, but it's a it's a pretty decent step this year. You heard it here first, folks. Victor no longer a believer in Byfield. Hates the man because he will not agree with my sizzling hot take of center one. Okay. Back to you. All right. So the next team is the sharks. And we also talked about the sharks a long time ago, and they're definitely one of the teams that made a lot of changes. I think uh, you could argue how beneficial those changes are going to be. A lot of, a lot of people are kind of suggesting that it's just uh, shuffling the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic as the whole ship sinks. So I'm not sure how much some of these changes are going to make, but there's some, some decent. So let me go over the not so, not so hot ones first. So Reimer, I'm not sure is going to, you know, a more suitable backup, I think, than Kojanosh. Um, Sure. He's fine. I don't, I wouldn't draft him in any league. Maybe if you need a spot start and, and the sharks don't look terrible. Uh, I think that Nick Benino and Andrew Cogliano are going to help kind of like Dano, help the overall team effect, right? Help them not get scored on as much. They didn't really have third and fourth lines that they could throw out there and not worried about getting scored on. And so that meant that the hurdle and the couture line had to, you know, play a lot of defense and try and score. It was just too much. So I think those guys help the balance of the team. Uh, a guy like Nick Merkley, who is not related to Ryan Merkley, actually, um, he came over from New Jersey and he is a guy who has some offensive upside. We'll see. Um, he'll probably get an opportunity. Lane Peterson is someone they, they paid a decent amount from the coyotes to get, and he's a young player who can play center, who, uh, just going to help fill out that depth. So they have a few guys. One of the guys I think is most interesting is Jonathan Dolan. 
And part of the reason he's so interesting is that, you know, he, if you haven't followed the story, he was drafted by Ottawa, traded to Vancouver and really seemed to struggle in Utica. He's not the first person who has struggled in the Vancouver development system. I think most Canucks fans would agree that, that, that their system of developing players is not great. And when he was there, he got traded to the Sharks. He played a few games for the Barracuda and then wanted to go back home. And the Sharks were fine with that. And he's lit up the Elsvenskin since then for two two seasons. And actually, this is the second time that he's helped get his team that Timur IK promoted from the Elsvenskin to the SHL. The last time he did it and left, they got relegated. So now he came back. He helped his team. They got promoted again. What I find really interesting about this is that a lot of people will say like, oh, it's second division Swedish hockey. It's not that great. And that's true. But if you look at the NHL equivalency model, at least if you believe Patrick Bacon's model, the Elsvenskan is pretty close to the AHL. So if you think that AHL scoring is pretty decent, and if, if someone is popping off in the AHL, they have a decent chance of doing it in the NHL, then you should probably believe this a little bit more. Um, he was amazing in the Elsvenskan, 71 points in 45 games. Uh, one of the best all time, and certainly for a player as young as he is. I mean, he's 23 now, but some of the players who did that were in their late 20s or 30s. So the thing about Dolan, too, is that he's on a one-way contract. He can decide if he if they send him to the AHL, he has to go through waivers, or he could just leave for Europe. So he's probably going to be a top six forward. And, you know, the Sharks argu- arguably don't have the best, you know, centers and all that, but playing with either Hurdle or Couture, you know, Meyer, who knows what's happening with Kane, but that should be pretty decent. And based on the NHL equivalency, I just mentioned Dolan would be roughly a 45 to 50 point player, which is rosterable. So he's definitely a guy you might want to think about taking later in your drafts. Um, Cause he could really, he could really go off. He definitely has the offensive skill. Patrick Bacon's model has him at a 39% chance of being a star really, really high. So Dolan is an interesting guy. The other guy I think that's really interesting is Aiden Hill. Um, I think a lot of people are shying away from Sharks goalies with good reason and hasn't really been a good thing to do in the last several years. But, you know, Hill has shown some promise in Arizona. He played way more than he probably thought he would because of all the injuries there. And he, you know, he did pretty well. A lot of his uh, expected goals save above expected are not not great. Um, But, you know, they're pretty decent. And he has... Um, he has some reasonable numbers in terms of like not blowing up your start, not having really bad starts. Um, his goal save above average is pretty decent. Um, and I think that the sharks invested so much in him, he's going to pretty get a pretty good opportunity. So, uh, I certainly wouldn't, you know, go heavy on Hill, but you know, if you have him as like your third goalie, uh, I think he could be, could be reasonable value. Certainly if it's a points league where none of those negative stats count against you, but I definitely think the sharks are not going to give up quite as many goals as they did uh, previously. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Hill is definitely someone I'm, I'm interested in and I would be okay with as one of my um, lower goalies, not my first or second. Jesse, you think you're going to end up with either of these guys? I have ended up with some Aiden Hill shares. I think you finally won me over a little bit on him just because, you know, I think, I think there's a possibility that this team – could bounce back a little bit more. And uh, Aiden Hill, while he never impressed me, particularly in Arizona, he's maturing and uh, he could be okay. What do you think, Victor? Uh, Any hot takes on these San Jose Sharks? 
All right. Well, everybody's going to call me a homer, but I, my hot take, because it's a hot take, is going to be that they make the playoffs. So we'll see. I don't necessarily think that will happen. I definitely, if I had to put money on it, I would I would bet that Edmonton makes it over the Sharks. But I, I do think that a lot of the moves that they made, they have a lot of veterans. They have some character guys. Um, you know, the whole Kane situation is still playing out as we're recording this. Uh, at this point, it seems like he may not play. Maybe that's good for the team and the chemistry. I don't know. Um, but uh, a lot of guys talked about the fact that having a, a full true off season, um, you know, with the team, you know, remember last season, the sharks, they, when the, once they were eliminated, they didn't, they didn't get to get back together until everybody else did. They didn't have any opportunity to kind of train regularly. And so it was, it was kind of a weird off season. So having this, the normal sort of off season and training, um, Anyways, that's what people are saying. We'll see if any of that comes true. But I think that there's a bounce back, like you said, Jesse. I don't know that it's all the way up there, but they aren't in a division to do it, right? I mean, they're not going to be better than Vegas. They may not be better than than Edmonton, but, you know, I think that they can be tough to play against. And um, they don't need to do great to make the playoffs in the Pacific. So that's that's really the reason. Well, I do. I think that take is very reasonable. And it, it is actually going to be related. The Seattle Kraken are the next team to cover. And there's nothing for us to say about the Seattle Kraken because we just did their preview and nothing particularly has changed other than maybe Yanni Gorda skating. And my hot take on the Seattle Kraken, Victor, is that we have been sucked into this illusion that now suddenly expansion teams are all wonderful and pretty and they all win all the time just because Vegas did it once. And I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that this roster is full of Marcia So's and Carlson's and Riley Smith's and uh, all those types of things that are going to do wonderful things for them. Yes, they've got a solid goaltender coming in, but that goaltender has always played behind some very solid teams. Colorado has deep for days. And before that, Washington was a Stanley Cup winning team that he was playing on. So my take, Seattle finishes out of the playoffs and below two of three California teams in the Pacific Division. What do you think, Victor? I'm 100% with you on this one. I was very critical of their draft, of the expansion draft. I don't think the Kraken did a great job. I do think that if if they do have a March or so on their team, it's Jared McCann. I'm kind of excited about McCann. But overall, I just don't think that they have the depth in their roster to to do that. Like you said, I think that L.A. is going to be better. San Jose will probably be better. Anaheim, I don't think, is quite there yet. So if I'm picking two of the California teams, it's, it's L.A. and San Jose. And then, yeah, Calgary, Vancouver, I think are going to be much better than they were. Uh, and being able to play all the other, you know, California and other teams is, instead of the North, it's going to really help those teams this season. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, a few of those make it uh, ahead of Seattle. I, I don't, and I agree with you about Grubauer. I've always, uh, I've, I've, I've liked him, but yeah, he's definitely always been in a good situation. And now we're going to really find out how, how he fares when he's under attack all night. So yeah, I'm with you. Let's, let's, uh, we're going to go back to the days where it takes a while for expansion teams to actually be good. Uh, be, I'd be happy about that too. All right, let's move on to the Vancouver Canucks. So they made a couple of big moves. We had Connor Garland and OEL come in. And Connor Garland is someone we talked a lot about and, and kind of gushed over in the Arizona 
episode and as frankly the one of the few guys that you really were excited about owning and then of course they traded him so um there really isn't much there but uh yeah it's he he had a 65 point pace last season and you know the the shooting percentage was pretty decent for him there was a couple of maybe luck metrics that were a little bit high but uh, overall you know pretty big volume shooter and didn't really have a whole lot of excellent players to play against, played a lot with Schmaltz and Keller. And he's going to a situation where, you know, he's probably going to get, you know, the, the best center he's ever played with, I would imagine, um, at least a, a pretty high, pretty high level one. And, and does he make it on the top power play, I think is is probably an interesting question, but he should be in the, in the top six, right? So whether he gets Miller or, Corvat as a center, but he's going to be playing with some really good players better than he's probably ever played with. Uh, and I think that that's going to, that's going to really bode well for him. It's just leaving Arizona is going to probably bump up his points by a few. I think he can legitimately get to 70 points. I ranked him as the 99th best forward. That was before, um, or actually that was after the trade, but I, I think part of that was because I wasn't sure exactly if he, how much power play time he was going to get, but if he does get that power play time, I think that Connor Garland can possibly even get more than that. Um, uh, yeah. I think that I'm really excited about Garland. I think that that was a great, I mean, overall in the context of the move, I didn't like them taking on the next guy's contract, but I really liked how they brought on Garland OEL his stock probably goes up a little bit in Vancouver. That's why I snuck him in my top 50, but I'm really not super excited about drafting him, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, you know, probably he goes from, you know, top top D or, or kind of being surpassed by Chikrin to, you know, maybe being a second um, second pairing guy somewhere around there. Um, maybe, maybe he kind of reinvents himself, but you know, he's always been a guy who doesn't really shoot a whole lot and peripherals are kind of poor. Um, I don't know that the time on ice is going to increase. It might even go down. So I think you're pretty much hoping for a bunch of assists, maybe secondary assists. And I don't know that Vancouver is going to be high scoring enough for, for that to be worth it. So yeah, those, that's kind of what I think about Garland and OEL. Jesse, what do you, what do you think about those guys? I think both of them are going to have some opportunity for some fantasy relevance, but definitely have them in kind of the order that you do. What kind of hot take you have on this team, Victor? Quinn Hughes gets a hit per game. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's my, (laughs) that's my, that that's my joking one, but no, for real, I think that here's my hot take. I think that this is pretty possible that Connor Garland outscores Brock Besser. And you may think of that. We hear that on the surface and go, wow, that's, that's wild. Um, I think of Brock Besser as a, as a way bigger scorer. And, you know, for the most part, he, he has been, he certainly has had seasons where he scored more and he certainly has a, has an excellent shot. Um, but, you know, when you look at the, the points per 60, um, Garland has been higher on the power play and they're pretty much dead even at points per 60 at even strength. Garland uh, tends to um, shoot a little bit more and Besser may be a little bit more selective. So it really depends on the opportunity. Certainly if Besser is back playing with Peterson and Peterson is hundred percent, then you probably give the edge to whoever's playing with Peterson, but I think that they could be similar. And so, you know, if you're looking at where they're getting drafted and maybe you can get some value in taking Garland 
later, um, they might be similar. And that's that's really the point I'm trying to make is that maybe you can get a value Garland if you miss out on Brock Besser. All right, Vegas Golden Knights. Not a whole lot to say about them either because we just previewed them. Again, Evgeny Dadnoff, Nolan Patrick, two of the recent additions, but we went over them. And so we'll get to my hot take. The Vegas Golden Knights missed the play. Oh, no, no, just kidding, just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, here's my hot take. The misfit lineup of Smith, Carlson, and Marcia uh, So gets broke up this year, and one of them is off the team by next offseason. That is my take, Victor. Is that too hot? The, the Vegas Golden Knights hate all of their players and, and don't care at all about loyalty or continuity, so it doesn't seem like a hot take to me, but what do you think? Yeah, and they find out about it in a in a in a tweet. Uh, the team never <laughs> contacts them. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I heard a report about that about how the how the Golden Knights went from this this uh, you know beloved Cinderella story to one of the most hated teams in the league. And I don't think that, that's not me saying that. That's uh, that's people who kind of follow and kind of, like you said how they've been treating their players. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I did read also that um, apparently, you know, Gallant was obviously there in Vegas and now he's in New York. And apparently he really, really likes Riley Smith. And if any of them are going to go, it's probably Riley Smith. So um, it hasn't happened yet. I thought if it would have happened, it would have happened already. But um, maybe maybe when when New York, the New York Rangers get over just adding tough guys to beat up Tom Wilson, maybe they'll add an actual hockey player and maybe that'll be Riley Smith. Oh, my gosh. All right. We're going to take a brief break and then come back to talk Central Division. The Central Division. We're back to talk eight more teams as the second half of this episode. Victor, why don't you start us off uh, with our first team? Our first team is the newest member of the Central Division, the Arizona Coyotes, shifting over after Seattle Kraken joined the Pacific. And yeah, they made a few moves. I don't think any of them were great. I think they're also in the in the pain for Shane mode. Um, the one curious one, the couple ones that I think are interesting. Uh, well, let me start with the ones that I think are not interesting. Um, just say no to Anton Strawman, Antoine Roussel, Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle. And I don't think personally I'm going to, touch any of the goalies carter hutton joseph kojanash unless you're like yourself trying to tank in your league um but don't do that that's rude um so yeah don't <laughs> touch any of those guys they're just bad um but shane gostas bear why do you bring in shane gostas bear other than to run one of your power play units i just don't understand that i don't understand the signing or the, the acquisition at all really um but you know, he certainly has had an up and down career, as a lot of people know about um, his his high scoring days of the past are, are kind of not necessarily there peaking in that 67 point pace of 1718 up and down a lot of time in press box scratches um, last season was kind of frustrating to own him. But when he was in there to roster him, when he was in there, he was pretty decent. Uh, and so it's really just a matter of whether he's going to play. And in Arizona, there's no reason for him not to play. I mean, the, they don't necessarily have the most depth. So he's probably going to play. I just certainly hope that he does not take Jacob Chikrin's spot because he absolutely deserves that. Um, so I'm guessing he probably gets like second second unit. But there's some other guys who also deserve that time too, which just makes me wonder, why do you bring in 
Gossis Bear if you think he's somehow like a decent even strength player, which he really isn't. Although the last couple of years, he has improved his Corsi percent and his expected goals percent. He actually had a really good um, Corsi against per 60 last season. Um, but overall, he's not the strongest defensive player. So I'm just really curious about Gosses Bear. I am not going to draft him anywhere, but I'm going to watch that situation. And, um, it, you know, I pray he doesn't take any of Chikrin's role. But, you know, if he does... If he does get some uh, some power play time, that's going to be bad news for some of the younger guys who uh, like Soderstrom. And the next guy we'll talk about is Connor Timmons. And yeah, he's a guy that they got in the Darcy Kemper deal um, when the Avalanche back were kind of against the wall. And Timmons is a guy who's had some injuries. He has missed a lot of time in his development, um, but he has had some pretty, he was a pretty highly touted prospect and had, you know, a, a pretty decent AHL season a couple seasons ago. He played a lot of time in the NHL this season, but they just really didn't, they didn't want to trade him, but they just really needed Darcy Kemper and the, and the Kyries were going to do that for, unless they get the, unless they had a great egg prospect. So he's a guy who is probably going to get to play and he will, you know, hopefully show what he can do. Connor Timmons, that is. Um, Daily Faceoff hasn't projected as being their top right-handed D, uh, which you know, looking at the other options, Ilya Labushkin and Victor Soderstrom, probably, probably a reasonable take, I would say, because those other guys aren't great or not necessarily ready. So, Connor Timmons is a guy who I think could emerge, and that that kind of leads me into my hot take. I think Connor Timmons emerges, and I think that um, you know he could put up to up to a forty-point pace uh, with all the time on ice, with all the opportunity. Uh, I don't know that Arizona scores enough to get all the way there, but um, he probably will be involved if he's out there and getting all those minutes. Jesse, what do you what do you think about the Coyotes in that hot take? Nice. Yeah, I love to dumpster dive on some of these lower teams to try to find something. Uh, Gosses Bear coming here kind of feels like that one last round of punishment from Philadelphia, <laughs> exile into the desert. Uh, it's a fascinating take. I definitely will be watching Connor Timmons. I was not as high on him as you have been, but uh, it's worth a look. It's worth a look. 40 point pace isn't too much to ask for. So I don't mind that take. The Chicago Blackhawks were another team that we did relatively early, although some of the things that had to do with them blew up around the time that we were recording the episode. Marc-Andre Fleury going there, being one of them, trying to take over the Kevin Lankinen was a heroic and early in the season last year, but ultimately faded. They needed a, a more established goalie and you don't get more established than Mark Andre Fleury. So I think the flower is going to have one last bloom here in Chicago and uh, do a nice job for them. Seth Jones was the headliner of the off season. You can't doubt this is an upgrade over good old Duncan Keith at this stage. But the contract, as many have said, is questionable given the level of real hockey, the play you get from him. And you've heard me in the past give Jones a hard time on this show relative to the position he has frequently taken in fantasy hockey drafts. I have been projected as about the 22nd D-man in the rankings that were published. He was 28th in points on defense last year, half point per game and played all 56 games, so those cumulative stats were definitely high. That helped him uh, in uh, his total output at the end of the season. You can't expect that every year. Definitely gets nice peripherals, but the majority of those 28 points that he got in 56 games, 15 of the 28 were secondary points, so keep that in mind too. It's not like he was racking up the primaries. 
And I don't know whether he's really necessarily going to be in a better, better context to put up points with Chicago, even though Chicago's known as a more offensive team. Henrik Borgstrom probably would have been, I don't even know if we would have got to him in the episode, but Chicago's a nice place for post-hype sleepers to go. Former first-round Florida pick and Hobie Baker finalist busted early in his Florida career, ended up in Liga over in Finland last year, started slow, but finished with 21 points in his last 30 games. Came over to the Hawks to sweeten a Brett Connolly salary dump last year, along with other things, including the pick that would become Jalen Lupin, who I talked about with uh, Fantolitica's Rob Love earlier this offseason. Maybe Borgstrom could fall into some middle six center minutes, especially if there are injuries. And I've got my eye on him because I think Borgstrom actually has some latent talent that you saw at his University of Denver days. Maybe some skating problems is some of the read on him. So we'll see if he is able to produce. And Tyler Johnson, Chicago got a future second rounder from Tampa Bay to take on the last three years of $5 million in return for the ghost of Brent Seabrook, who will be buried on Tampa's long-term IR to help with their salary cap crunch. Johnson is 31 now, and his scoring rate has dropped year over year. The last four campaigns, down to 22 points in 55 games last year. But keep in mind, it's tough to get a prominent role in Tampa's forward lines because of the amazing depth there. Tyler Johnson is expensive, so expect him to reliably be on your waiver wire come streaming day all season. Maybe Tyler Johnson, if he falls under the right line, right situation, gets a little hot streak, but I don't see him as particularly fantasy relevant. And then Caleb Jones traded for from uh, part of the Duncan Keith deal. Sign one Jones, get his brother free. Who knows? Maybe Caleb Jones will do something, but I don't have high hopes. He will be fantasy impactful. And my hot take, Victor, uh, at continuing my Seth Jones shade is that Seth Jones does not end this season with the most power play time on ice among Chicago D-men. What do you think? Well, I immediately start looking for who possibly would. Exactly. Exactly. That's what makes it hot. <laughs> okay. So you're not going to tell us who you think that is. All right. I'm taking the field. Victor. The field. I'm taking the field. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I've got to handicap this take because it's, it's a rough one. Well, maybe this is a somewhat hot take too. I think the field sucks more than Seth Jones. So. <laughs> I don't, I, nah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good hot take, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I like that one. I don't agree with it. Um, but it's good. It's hot and it's spicy. I know that we've 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 been on the same page doubting Seth Jones, but when a team pays them that much money, I just think he's going to get all the opportunity, even if he's not great. He's going to still get thrown out there. I love Henrik Borgstrom. I've liked him for a long time. I really think that he has a good shot. He's going to get the playing time. He's going to get the opportunity and, you know, we'll see. I, I you know, I don't know that he's, he's going to become some sort of point per game player or anything like that, but hopefully he gets the opportunity and he, uh, he makes, you know, he resurrects his career. He makes something of it. We'll see. I don't have, I don't have much to think about Tyler Johnson. Um, yeah, daily faceoff hasn't projected as a second line center. I, I don't know that he's there. Um, I think that doc probably is ready to at least pass him. But we'll see. Tyler Johnson, maybe as a depth piece, uh, I'm not I'm not all that into him. But Borstrom, I, I would definitely watch and uh, get kind of excited about if he if he gets the opportunity. Let's move on to the next team, the Colorado Avalanche, who 
We did relatively recently, so there's not a whole lot different there. Um, just remind everybody that Darcy Kemper is going to take a vacation to the IR and um, be ready for that, even though when he plays, I'm sure he'll be great. Um, he plays for a great team. Even if he's just average, he will be great value. Um, so that's interesting. Devon Taves being out for the beginning of the season might give more opportunities to Ryan Murray, Eric Johnson, guys like that. So maybe... Um, they take a little bit more of a role. Curtis McDermott is the is a guy who's there now. Just to kind of remember that if you want pims, if you want hits, uh, he might be someone on Colorado. If you liked Zadorov back in the day, then then maybe McDermott is someone who's somewhat interesting. Um, Mikhail Maltsev is a guy who could be a really good coattail rider in Colorado. He's a guy we didn't really um, talk a whole lot about, but he came over from New Jersey and he's kind of a a player, an older player who, um, you know, maybe he gets some, some opportunity. It all depends on deployment though. Obviously if he plays up in the top six, then he's going to get, um, a, a pretty decent opportunity. I think, uh, most likely is that he'll just kind of be a bottom six guy and not that interesting, but Maltsev is definitely a guy to watch if he's up there. Um, haven't really seen any lines from training camp yet, but, um, um, obviously you're only really super excited if he's playing with, with McKinnon, but, um, that seems unlikely to me. So my hot take for the avalanche is that Pavel Frenzos finishes with more wins than Darcy Kemper. Wow. I like the hot take. I'm a, I'm a Frenzos guy, uh, with you and I've been throwing the shade at Darcy Kemper. So th- while it's hot, it's, it's certainly no guarantee. I don't mind it one bit. Let's move on to the Dallas Stars, and uh, Ryan Suter is the newest addition to this team, one of the outcasts from the Minnesota Wild situation. Scoring dropped through the floor last year. He's gone from 48 points in 69 games the year before to 19 points in 56 games last year. Turns 37 in January. His minute-hogging ways are in decline. In 2013-14, he played 29-25 per game. That seems inhuman, but his average time on ice has declined each year since. He was still at 22-11 last year, so it's not like it's dropped through the floor, but I wonder on a team with so much more defensive depth, I I don't know whether he's going to be asked to soak up those kind of minutes with the likes of Klingsberg and Haskinen around him. There's two excellent established candidates for a power play quarterback in those two, so he has lost value since his Minnesota days, and I think his value in Minnesota was waning already. So uh, more of a fringe defenseman, uh, maybe a depth defenseman, not somebody you would be targeting highly like you would have once upon a time. And Brayden Holpe, Ben Bishop is skating in camp, but no sense of how much he'll be doing at this point. Jim Neal was quoted this week as saying he's day-to-day and week-to-week. Bishop said he's very much trying to play, but I'm not necessarily buying it yet. That's pretty much the news that we have. You have to think Holpe's going to get time early in the year with Bishop in that situation. And whatever else you think of Holpe and the way that he has really declined since winning the Stanley Cup with Washington, Dallas does have a nice recent track record of making goalies look good. So I am not going to rule out Holpe as a guy who could play a role. And, you know, even the likes of Ryan Suter could be there to try to boost him up a little bit from the defensive end. And my hot take, Victor, every year my projections just go through the roof for Joe Pavelski, for 
uh, in for Jamie Ben, and uh, there's always worries about it. Last year, the Joe Pavelski uh, prediction hit, and I didn't quite believe it. This year, I'm saying that Jamie Ben one hits, and he bounces back to a 65 point season, and makes us all look foolish for saying that Ben is down and out. Do you have any possibility, any world where you see that happening with Jamie Ben? Oh, I'm sure there's a alternative universe where that that's a reality. Yeah, it's possible. I watch What If. I watch the Marvel What If. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he he he. That low of 46 point pace season, he certainly has bounced back a little bit from them. 55 um, ish point paces on either side of that. So. You know, certainly with some with some lucky variants, I think there are some decent younger players that are coming back. He had really high PDOs in the in the seasons where he was closer to 55 and really low when he was under that. So he just needs a little bit of puck luck and, and maybe a better supporting cast, which I think uh, is, is kind of getting there. Um, Jason Robertson uh, is obviously great. And Tyler Sagan, if he gets back to him, I think that's the question is I'm not sure that Tyler Sagan and Ben are going to be playing together anymore. If they are, then then that probably is a, is pretty realistic. But if, if Sagan's playing with, you know, someone else, then that might not be as likely. So, yeah, I agree with, you know, everything else you said about Suter and Holpe. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, Ben is certainly a guy that would be interesting to take later. I'm not certainly wouldn't take him too high, but as a, as a late round flyer for a bounce back with some decent peripherals, I could get on board with that. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota wild. So they made a lot of moves, uh, and I don't think any of them were particularly exciting. Speaking of Jamie Ben, his brother Jordy is now on the wild, along with John Merrill, Dmitry Kulikov, Frederick Gaudreau. Alex Goligovsky is maybe a guy with some decent uh, peripherals in, in a deeper league, but basically all of these guys are just not that exciting. I think it's more interesting who they lost. They lost, lost Nick Benino, who's going to hurt their even strength um, performance, uh, Sutter, or sorry, Suter, obviously a little bit too, uh, potentially Ian Cole and Zach Preezy, a lot of the older guys, and um, they're going real young, which I think is exciting. There are young guys. Some of them are kind of ready. Uh, Rossi and Boldy have been lighting it up at the at the rookie tournament. A lot of praise for those guys. I certainly hope they, they make the team. That's my That's my big hope is that they've cleared out some space. They've opened up the door and they're going to actually give these guys the opportunity to play. Uh, I mean, all the tea leaves seem to suggest that, but um, they might not. I mean, they still have enough veterans that they could just continue to push those guys down. Uh, but I certainly hope that's not the case. So my hot take for the Minnesota wild is that Kirill Kaprizov and Rossi boldly take the wild to second in the division, avoiding the abs in the first round. Wow. I love it. I love it. The wild are on the rebound. Everybody underestimated them last year. So it is possible uh, with Rossi and Boldy coming in, man, the, the reinforcements are on the way, but of course the, the way that the NHL hates us in the playoffs, they will have to play in the second round, (laughs) whether they like to or not. Uh, That will be a rough one, I think for the wild, but I like it. I like it, Victor. That's a, that's a good hot take. The Nashville Predators, there's a few things to say about this team. Cody Glass, I'm excited about this one. I I know the Vegas folks maybe were not quite as excited about Mr. Glass as he left. By the way, 
if you have injury injuries and your name is Mr. Glass, that is that is a problem for you in life. Um, that's uh, just a little too on the nose as far as I'm concerned. But he was a well-regarded prospect, did not manage to break through in, in Vegas, but they kind of yo-yoed him around between the NHL and AHL at the end of last year. Played 27 games early in the year with a shot per game, 10 points in 27 games. That's only a 30-point pace. And played 14-32 average time on ice. He had some injuries. He had some scratches in the playoffs. I'm worried about counting on a man named Glass, but Daily Faceoff has him slated to play in the third line with Philip Tomasino. That uh, that perked Victor up there for a second, which would be wonderful and brilliant. Maybe not a boldy Rossi pairing, but uh, with Philip Tomasino, things might get interesting from a scoring perspective. Mikhail Granlund is going to return to this team. He was an unrestricted free agent when we talked about the Predators in our preview. He's creeping up to close a hit and a block per game and has a nice center right wing eligibility set. Uh, back over half a point per game too, but 17% shooting probably means that was an illusion. He jumped up to 19.5 average time on ice with more than 2.5 minutes of power play time on ice, which was uh, which was nice. And for the first time, he had a big shorthanded time on ice roll, more than two minutes. Remember back with Minnesota back in the day, he did kind of play that defensive role and was uh, was with the defensive line. I think it was with Miko Koivu before he came to Nashville. And so he's kind of got those credentials back there, but he really has not been what he was hoped to be when he was originally traded in Nashville. And we're going to have to see a career renaissance for him to be highly relevant in your fantasy leagues. And then big save, Dave, Dave Redich. I guess you have to talk about a backup goalie. I guess you can point to 2018-19 when he was just slightly bad. If you want to be optimistic instead of the other years when he's been awful. UC Saros is 26, kind of in his prime with Vezina votes last year to his credit the 927 sweet percentage or save percentage for Saros was sweet. So it would really, really take a disaster for Dave Riddish to fall into playing time. Probably would even be a situation where you'd wonder whether it would be better just not to have the starting goalie in Nashville than to have Dave Riddish. Stranger things have happened and usually do every year a couple of times in net. Felipe Myers, uh, you know, Myers didn't necessarily cover himself in glory in Philadelphia last year. And I don't know, I see a less crowded situation in Nashville where he was sent off to in the Ryan Ellis trade. So I don't really particularly see him as fantasy relevant. And here's my hot take, Victor, with a bunch of new guys, Tolvin and Tomasino and Glass coming in. This is the year the well-compensated Ryan Johansson falls out of the top six of the Nashville lineup. Do you buy it? Well, well-compensated is a nice understatement to both he and Matt Duchesne. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, he, <laughs> he's been really not great. Uh, and and so has Duchesne. So, yeah, I don't know that the other guys are quite ready, though. I mean, realistically, they'll probably keep them there. But I, I, I think he's worthy of that demotion for sure. He needs to show more. They both need to play a lot better if, if Nashville has any sort of chance. But, yeah, I like the opportunity that some of the younger guys are getting. I think that they need some of that new blood. I mentioned on the last episode, one of the last episodes we did, they're undergoing a competitive rebuild, which is a kind of a confusing way to phrase that. But it sounds like they're going to still try to be decent while they kind of re rebuild, retool. So 
Um, that means that they probably will give these, you know, the glass and the Tomasinos and, and the Tolvanens a little bit more opportunity instead of stuffing them down. Uh, and if that's if that's what they mean, then then, yeah, maybe maybe they will push those veterans down to the bottom six. Uh, and, you know, in terms of the Riddick take, I, I yeah, the, I think the biggest thing is is absolutely that improves Saros's stock so much. Uh, and I haven't been able to get him in any of my leagues. I think a lot of other people are thinking the same thing or I just wait too long on goalies. But, um, yeah, I think that Saros could be a pretty, pretty decent value because uh, this team, I don't think will be as bad as everyone is thinking. I think they'll be decent but uh not not necessarily great but Saros could certainly win them a lot of games like he did last season all right let's move on to the st louis blues who definitely made a couple of moves uh or at least the pavel buchnevich episode uh transaction which happened after we recorded our episode and yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with buchnevich he he was great last season after a few seasons of kind of you know being fringe fantasy relevant kind of that 40 50 point pace ish and then he really broke out next to Zabenajad for a 73 point pace i've heard a lot of rangers people talking about how they're actually worried that Zabenajad is not going to be as good without buchnevich so Maybe we'll see uh, Buchnevich kind of continue his breakout in St. Louis. I think that I'm always a little wary of guys going to a completely new situation and seeing how they how they jive with with chemistry and where his where his uh, time on ice lands. His IPP and PDO were certainly high uh, last season with Zibi, so that probably needs to be regressed a little bit. But on the other hand, they did they did give him you know a fair amount of money uh, to bring him in and hopefully you know you would imagine give him a pretty decent role so we'll see i mean the fourth highest paid forward on the on the team and committed to him for four years so uh, i don't i can't see him not being in the top six but i also don't think that he'll be playing with players like zabanajad and panarin or at least not players on their level so yeah i'm i'm, I'm not as excited about buchnevich as a lot of people i, I definitely have not drafted him in any of my leagues um, not that i think he's going to be bad i just uh, i'm really uncertain about the level of his production another guy brandon Saad. uh i don't know what it is i think i have a thing against Saad too i just kind of see him as a really boring um you know sort of 45 40 45 ish point player and so he can be relevant at times but for the most part i don't see him as super fantasy relevant so i don't think that he gets over 50 in uh, st louis maybe maybe i'm wrong about that but he's kind of had decent opportunity and hasn't been able to do more than that recently um and then a couple of the younger guys scott prunovich seems like he is primed to finally you know play a significant role in this team he was banished to the taxi squad pretty much all season last season because there just wasn't a really a spot for him so uh, we'll see if he gets in there. I've heard a lot of people talking about how, well, they don't need another Tory Krug on this team because they already have Tory Krug and Prunovich being a smaller, you know, good skating, puck moving defenseman that's mostly offensive. Um, yeah, maybe they don't necessarily need that, but they could have a couple guys like that. And and Prunovich um, is probably better two-way uh, or has more more of a two-way game, at least at the at the level that he is now where Krug was. And he was absolutely fantastic at the Traverse City tournament. So that's probably going to help him. He's been NHL ready for a year. Hopefully he gets in there. Um, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Certainly if there's an injury, I think it'll happen. 
And then the other guy is that Logan Brown just got traded. Uh, in fact, it's funny. I heard he was, he's apparently lives in St. Louis or he's from St. Louis. And he was driving from St. Louis to Ottawa um, for training camp when he got the news that he was traded and had to turn around and go back. So that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, he, um, Logan Brown has, oh yeah, he played his triple A hockey uh, in St. Louis. So that's kind of fun for him. He's coming back home. He Logan Brown had a really difficult time uh, with the uh, Senators organization. I've seen arguments on both sides that that he either wasn't giving it his all, or you know he he wasn't a good fit, or or people say or Ottawa mismanaged him. Whatever the case, it wasn't a great fit in Ottawa. He never really came through, but he has a lot of skill. He's now twenty three. He's a big, six foot six, uh, high highly touted prospect 11th overall by Ottawa back in 2016. So, you know, he's, he's ready to make an impact and it's kind of time. Like if he doesn't really take hold of an NHL job, he might, you know, never really have one. So um, now is his time. I think he gets his career back on the rails. I think Logan Brown has all the tools to kind of put it together and he, all he needs is the opportunity. So if St. Louis does that. I think that, you know, he could, you know, he could be one of their um, more decent players moving forward but uh he obviously needs to prove it so i'm excited to, to kind of watch that i uh, don't necessarily think he's going to have a huge season this season but i'm hoping he kind of does enough you know 30 40 points to kind of resurrect his career and make himself a uh, an nhl player and then maybe down the road he has uh has room to kind of grow a little bit more uh, and my hot take is that the blues in this really tough division um miss the playoffs wow well I don't disagree with you on your takes. Buchnevich finally kind of started to break out last year, but yeah, I, I regression would not be unexpected. And the change of scenery probably, <clears throat> particularly before last year, I would have recommended it. And I think still it's probably a good idea for him now. Scott Perunovich, I think, was the all-time leader on Victor's Dynasty Dig episodes where he asked me to pick between three people. I think I, I picked somebody above Perunovich like 20 times in a row, uh, which doesn't mean I hate him. Maybe now I just need to be a Scott Perunovich super fan to make up for my earlier lack of faith. And the hot take of missing the playoffs, you never know about these dang blues. You know, they they just won a Stanley Cup. They're, they always just were sort of the low-level playoff team, but it's not impossible because the Central Division is pretty good, although it's difficult to imagine four teams coming out of the Pacific to crowd out a fifth central division team. Moving on the Winnipeg Jets last team here. It, we discussed the Jets fairly recently, so I don't have a whole ton to say about them. seems like we previewed Nate Schmidt about five times. So I'm not going to go into him again, aside from the fact that I think he'll bounce back a little bit more to Vegas Schmidt than he will be lousy Vancouver Schmidt and Brendan Dillon came in, but he's not particularly Cheap for the Jets, he's not particularly fantasy relevant. Maybe, maybe he will have some sort of real-life impact that you'll see in the improvement for defense of other players on the team. So we'll get right to my hot take. Nikolai Ehlers uh, traditionally has been kept off the power play year after year. I'm predicting this is the year that reverses. Not only does it reverse, but he leads Winnipeg in power play points to make up for all that lost time when he didn't get to play on the power play. What do you think, Victor? Well, I, for one, would absolutely love that. 
I, I think it should happen. They owe it to the guy. He's been, you know, arguably one of their best players and probably one of the ones that they've kind of mistreated the most in terms of giving opportunity and ice time. So yeah, I'm all for Nick Ehlers getting all the opportunity he deserves. And, and he could have a, I mean, if he, if he gets all that time, he could have an absolutely monster season. I mean, we're talking like 90, hundred points if he actually got that. I love it. And I do think that, I do think that um, the, Jets defense is much better. Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, you know, they they're both guys that I think really just help the depth. I mean, they they push DeMello down to a third pairing guy potentially or maybe Dillon is up there um or DeMello's up there with with Pionk, but they're both righties. So it just kind of strengthens the depth on the right side. Dillon certainly on the left side and you know, Stanley has kind of showed a little bit. They also have Dylan Sandberg. They have a lot of really they they have a, they have a much better defense, so I think that and they we already know they have an amazing goalie. So if you don't make Hellebuck stand on his head and actually have a reasonable workload instead of a really difficult one, you have the opportunity to be a very good team. So and we know they can score. So I think the Jets made some really smart overall moves to to make themselves better. So yeah, let's move. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, Jesse, I agree with. I like that hot take, and I hope it happens. Yeah, it was either that or Paul Maurice gets contacts, but I wasn't going to go with that one. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a brief break. We're going to come back. We're going to close out the show. That's right. Those were the, the previews of the guys who moved around. Those are the hot takes on the Western Conference. Next week, we're going to be talking Eastern Conference and do some of the same things. But before we do, a reminder, we talked about Fantrax at the beginning of the show. Fantrax.com, that's the place you want to jump into to get in those last-minute fantasy leagues, whether you want to do kind of some of the pay leagues that they've got going there for money where you play the strangers and such, or whether you want to get into a league with your friends. Best place to play nine plus fantasy sports. You could trade draft picks. You can do the slow drafts, all those different types of things. Hundreds of scoring settings available to you. Fantrax HQ has lots of fantasy content. I wrote this week about five guys who would be huge swings that could make a, a breaker or, or bust. Uh, you can't have break or bust. Those are both bad. Make or break. Boom or bust. That That's better a uh, better breakdown of it. For your fantasy teams, and in fact, some of them, like Evander Kane, who was mentioned earlier on the show, have even had more development since I wrote that. There are lots of articles on fantasy hockey there. We're kind of developing a draft kit and other fantasy sports, and there's lots of podcasts. We are the only hockey one, but there are three fantasy football podcasts, fantasy football POV, fantasy football addicts, define fantasy football, and two baseball podcasts, Fantrax Prospect Toolshed, and SP Streamer you can listen to if you are into that. We're also brought to you by our friends at the Hockey Writers who put us out there on their website every week. Victor writes for the Hockey Writers. And Victor, what are you working on over there right now? Yeah, well, I posted, uh, I published my takeaways from the three games that the Sharks had, the prospects had over at the rookie faceoff tournament in Arizona. So definitely check that out. And uh, first preseason games start tonight. And there have been some training camp storylines, so we'll definitely be writing about that soon. Going to kind of stay away from the Vander Kane issue because we just don't really know what's happening with that. So we have to kind of wait and see. But um, there are some other interesting things that are happening with the Sharks. So we'll be writing about that shortly. So takeaways from training camp and preseason, all that kind of stuff. 
cool stuff. People should be checking out Victor and all the more of the real life hockey talk for every single team over at the Hockey Writers. Here's a few things that you could do for us. One is you could come in and join our Discord. The Discord is hopping right now. We got like uh, we're way up over like 150 members. People are in there chatting hockey all day. We even have invited Fantrax itself to come in, or actually Jordan from Fantrax, who has been listening to ideas for improving the platform, answering user questions. It's really cool. If uh, if you've ever wanted an opportunity to talk, Yahoo's not going to get in a chat like that. That ain't going to happen. Come talk to, uh, come come on our site and we can uh, maybe hook you up. I don't know how long we're, we're going to keep that going, but uh, we've got some good feedback that they've been able to hear from actual users about actual experiences. So jump in the Discord. You just need an invite from Victor or myself. It's absolutely free to get in the Discord. Just email us, fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. That's at fanhockeylife for me. You should follow me, by the way. And at victornuno12 if you want the really good takes. And that is Victor. In addition to following us on Twitter, to hitting us up, to get in our Discord, one nice thing that you could do for us, those are all ways for us to give back to you. Here's what you could do for us. You could go in and rate and review our podcast on whichever podcast aggregator you listen to. Not everyone allows a rating, but if yours does, or if you just want to jump on random ones and start rating us, uh, just give us all the stars is all we ask. And nice, kind words to keep us enthused and going and putting out this podcast every week. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our West Coast talk and keep living that fantasy hockey life. Hockey life.